Connors T. How are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. My name is Aaron and I am sitting down in my own lab. Well, my own room. No, I'm on my bed. Uh, it's the best place to have the sound uh, insulating and at the moment all my housemates have gone to bed and it's it's quite in the gaff. So this is the best time to record at the, the wee hours of the morning. And I'm recording because we can't be in the, in the Shabbos. I can't be in the Shabbos. Surika can be. But I can't be together. So we're we're going to do podcasts while we're in lockdown period. A little bit differently at the moment. We are going to do a story followed by a special post-show podcast. Talking about the previous story. And Surika and Oshin just released part one of Dearmud and Gronia. And I'll be doing part two next week. Except for the fact that I forgot to release this one a couple of weeks ago. And um, now it's sort of out of sequence. My bad. Sorry about that. Followed by another one of these post-show podcasts. So if you're a fan of this podcast and you like to support Irish artists or just us, you can do by going to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. And, of course, during this time of lockdown due to COVID-19, we're going to be trying to get as much extra content out as possible. So I just want to let you know that we've uh, YouTube videos coming as much as possible from previous live shows that we've recorded and are putting up. To be fair, that's mainly Oshin who's doing that. But at the same time, we were there when we recorded them so subscribe to our youtube channel by all means Uh, we're also getting more podcasts out there and we encourage you to send us your requests if you have any stories you want us to tell we will do our best to get some out and if you catch a live stream we won't be doing loads of them but we will be doing them every now and again on instagram or facebook or whatever the interweb allows us to do uh, I live in a precarious position where I don't have great Wi-Fi, so that isn't always possible for me. Apologies for all of you internet-savvy human beings who are wondering where in the name of God I live. Never mind you, is what I say to you. Anyway, this story came because, well, it's a great story and we were planning getting along to it, but it was requested, so... Uh, we moved up the ladder and we decided to do this podcast in this time of isolation and uh, captivity in our own homes. And it fits really nicely because it gave us a little memory of the fir- one of the first times we ever split up a story in a live show as a two-hander. Amazing. But it was the first time we did it with live music and we did Dear Grania and his circuit took the Grania perspective, I took the Dear perspective and it was a very funny show, I remember well, because I just kept on coming out with, really? Like, what? How are you doing this? And so on and so forth because it was mind-boggling to everyone who was even listening how he kept on having to do stuff for this Grania character who seemed uh, like a bit of a wet blanket but we will find out a lot more about Grania's character who I guess in this chat that we have doesn't seem as bland 
Now, I just want to give you a little bit of a forewarning. We're going to flick over to the chat that Zurich and I had about this story, about the first part of the story. And it went live on air on Instagram. And we were joined by people from all over the world, which is kind of cool. But I just want to explain that I had a bit of a sound issue on my home recording uh, Zoom mic uh, because we were doing it over the phone. I basically messed it up. We were recording in two different mics and this is... Well, this is me making it up uh, or making up for it. So apologies if my voice now sounds a bit echoey. It's coming through the phone, essentially. And Surika uh, luckily recorded her rent very well. But we were joined from people from Australia and Brazil, Seville, Galicia, I believe. Oh, someone from Clare, up the banner. And as well, someone, I believe, from the Meadows in a forest in Bavaria, which really was class. And so if every now and again we read out a comment, that's because they were live comments at the time. Uh, next week we'll be talking a bit more about the complex nature of the relationship that they have between them. And I guess we'll be catching up with a bit more chat. Um, and we're diving into the middle of this conversation right now. So we've just essentially talked a bit about Diarmid and his tricky situation, about the fact that he's left his friends and his family and Grani keeps on putting Gesh on him to do everything that she desires and whatever else is going on but don't worry we'll find out that Grani is a bit more of a complex character than we give her credit for and uh, there is after all as Eric reminded me a trope in mythology where women are made quite passive I'm just about to reference a very good article uh, called Sex Education or the Lack of with Dermot and Grania from Irish Imbus Books Thank you for that article and thank you for the inspiration and thank you for continuing to listen to this podcast. To the point where that's what I was talking about, where the splash of water landed on her leg. The the thing that was she remembered viscerally from school was the line that Dermot made a woman of her then and that was that. And literally nothing, no explanation. Yeah. And that was that. Because these stories are not now, for children. Yeah. yeah, yeah and we no, do a so massive you. we do a massive disservice to mythology when we like this is something that I that I have like a thing about and Aaron knows my mm. thing about this very well, which is that I kind Go of on, have <laughs> like I have a little bit of a resistance to doing children's shows, even though it is something that we're often booked to do and we're often asked to do, because these stories are primarily not for children. They are thematically and symbolically and in terms of like, in terms of complexity, in terms of theme, in terms of like anything barring the most superficial surface reading of them is not for kids. Kids don't get half of it. And that's why I think people come up to us at shows and say like, Oh, I remember this story, but I didn't know it had this in it. Or I don't, I didn't remember it fully. Yeah, because you heard it once as a kid and you didn't understand it because it's not for kids. And that's not to say that children shouldn't be exposed to the stories. These were stories that like everybody would listen to as a community. All together. Well, I think you said like um, irrational things are not childish. This is... That yeah, I actually this, did. That's that was a much better line. <laughs> I mean, like that's the, so all of the, the the kind of notes and details and extra 
even just the fact that there are archetypes or big uh, emotional journeys that these characters go on they're not exactly childish journeys no they're, they're not just, they're oftentimes they're magical and the magic element of Fionn and the Salmon Knowledge or how Ku Cullen got his name and they're on the syllabus now you know they're in they're in primary school history books not it, just it's not to be taught. and i agree with that and i, I think yeah, it's I a fabulous thing to be exposed to as a kid the magic element when you're in the mythic kind of uh, mentality and you believe magic is out there as a kid i think it's very important to be exposed to a cultural narrative that yeah. reflects that and i think the fall down is when you simplify it and you see it as kids stories because that's what I think you're talking exactly, about. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's a that's a hangover of the kind of western rationalist kind of mindset that we that we have all been raised in which is that like rational is good, irrational is bad and actually we can we can as humans entirely divorce ourselves from our own irrationality and be purely beings of logic. And we can't, and we shouldn't, and we, you know, I mean, you see it in, you see it in science, you see it in like, you know, as, as valuable and as incredible as the scientific method is, there are layers of bias in, you know, the framing of studies that are that is, is still going on, like the questions that are asked. Um, so we cannot divorce ourselves from our own irrationality. And I think myth because it comes from a pre-scientific tradition, celebrates that irrationality. And it gives us a kind of a way of working through those huge emotions. I want to see what people are saying back to me now because yeah, a couple of so comments have come through. that's just part of folklore and mythology being uh, devalued in Western rational logic worlds. That's Snap, very true. Dude, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, then... As Castrofia says, because I think we devalue them. That's the whole point. We make them childish and people even like when, when, when we have gigs you're like oh it's a storytelling gig people come to it and go i had no idea what to expect because it was storytelling and like you know we, we we have this idea that storytelling is a childish thing whereas we don't see movies we don't see a lot of music as storytelling even though the narratives in them can be very adult can be very complex and we love them all the more for it and with their stories we're, we're designed for stories the oldest the most kind of primordial stories there are, the ones that speak to our heart, are the myths that are in our culture. And that's why we're so drawn to retelling them again and again and again and bringing a little yeah. bit and try and get, gather kind of and a heart, heart storytelling. Of, away from- I, I, I entirely agree. Um, I just want to read out one more comment from Heart Storytelling who says children would once have been exposed to them in their complex forms and grown up coming to understand them over time, simplifying them is damaging. The mystery is vital. And I entirely agree with all of that. I think that's very, very true. I'm not sure about that. I, 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 so... I, I'm, I like... Like, performance for kids is, is something I love. And I, you know, I started off my acting career working with Barnstorm and Louis Lovett, two fantastic theatre companies in in Ireland who really take the art of of performing for kids really, really seriously. And and that seriously put like value the art, the art form. And I think if you can, if you can capture a kid's imagination in performance and a group of kids and bring them on a journey, you know, there's adults are easy. And the idea of doing that, you, you know, they're kind of like kids' attention spans 
are a lot shorter. Their 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 awareness like once something gets very complex, they can tune out pretty easily. And probably modern modern day with so much going on, their attention spans are smaller and smaller and smaller. But they're less forgiving. They'll just speak if they're confused. They'll just say, "What's that? Who? Yeah. What are you on about?" Or or look, or they'll just they'll react if the story isn't fully uh, consuming them. And I think a level of of dialing them down is necessary because you need the fun, you need the magic. Maybe more so. Maybe maybe it's just because I love playing to, to uh, as a kid to kids in a way, and the idea of heightening voices, facial, you know. Uh, anime, you know, uh, gestures. Yeah, and like, all of that I think of it's. I agree that, with you that it is also a valuable thing. Um, I also think that we've gotten like wildly sidetracked from Grania, in part because we're having a fun discussion, but like we're we're also having a more general discussion. Uh, Catastrophia asks if we have heard about restoring or restoration. I have not, but that sounds fascinating, and I will look into it because it sounds yeah, definitely really cool. Um, Send us on any information out, but we'd love to. We'd love to hear about. Uh, no, hard storytelling. Uh, I also actually really like. Hard uh, storytelling is written. I tell legends to all ages together. I actually really like yeah. when I go to a storytelling somewhere like the Civic in yeah. Tala, and it's a mixed crowd, and you get people sure. who are you know retired, and you get parents with kids, and you get a mix, because I find that actually, you do have to pitch it differently to children. It's a different beast when it's a group of children. But when you have a mixed age group, it's not. When you have a mixed age group, and we've done a full on telling of the tone in the cafe in the Civic, you know, with maybe half a dozen kids in the whole audience. And they, they, we didn't go into kid mode. Sure. Um, Sure. And they, and they listened. And when it's a no, when it's a mixed age group like that, like it's really interesting because when it's a mixed age group like that, the kids' attention span changes because the energy is different. Yes, but I think there's so like I'm torn because I've done that show with you, and it's really beautiful to see kids. And the first dance theater show we did, we, we had loads of kids in the front row and adults in the back, and you know there was a, there was a big mix, and the kids sat sat quiet. A lot of stuff went over their head, and as I yeah. heard Storytelly mentioned. You know, they they would grow into understanding it in later later years, and they kind of reflect on it and go, "Oh, that's what that was." Yeah. Sure, and I but I think there's there's two there's different art forms at play here, and I think I think I agree. I think I stories is still an art form in itself, especially if it's a group of kids. Yes, and I don't think telling Dearman and Grani in its full in the full level of what it is and what it was essentially given in text to to a lot of Irish kids in the in a proper Catholic upbringing, as someone mentioned, is necessarily the right way to... Right to right no, 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 no. And I don't, I don't think anyone's necessarily saying that. Like, children's entertainment is a valuable thing in itself. Exposing children to myth is a valuable thing in itself. But I think what's, what, what we're saying, because I think I'm, I'm in the same side of our storytelling in this, is not don't do it, but, like, the, the best way for kids to experience mythology fully is as part of a community not siloed off as kids only yeah but as part of a community with the adults all sitting together and hearing different things from the same myth yeah yeah something fell sorry 
Um, and like, I, and I, I don't think I, I know, I, I also kind of want to wrap this up a little bit because I feel like we, we're having a conversation about general storytelling. Um, and this is also an argument that you and I've had many times and will continue to have. Like, I, I also know that you love performing for groups of children and you are extremely good at it. And it is something that like is a passion for you. So I'm also not trying to take that away from you. <laughs> That's okay. Um, <laughs> Both of values had storytelling. Surely in days gone by, there would not have been uh, the segregation. That's, sure, that's the I word. Think. That's the word that I was thinking, that I was looking for, actually, is like yeah. the segregation of children. Because we, you know, putting 30 kids into a room, you need to do a lot of work to get their attention. And anybody who's yeah. in education knows yeah. that. Yeah. But like, we wouldn't have done that in, in, in other cultures and other times. But, and, so and moving on from... We uh, definitely shouldn't be doing the full, like, uh, you know, prescribed textbook, Dear Grania for for a class of kids, because they're all going to snore. They're no, 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 and nobody's arguing for that. And, or, um, no, I'm, I'm just saying, like, in terms of that article that I read, and then uh, to bring it back to Dear Grania yes. now, in terms of... To, awesome. to, so, like, the, 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 the telling that we're going with at the moment is definitely not aimed at kids, but kids could certainly listen to it. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know how much of our listenership listens to or you know plays these stories for their kids, or how many kids are listening to it. Because people have asked us, "Is it suitable for children?" And we always cop out and go, "It might be suitable for your kid." I don't know your kid. <laughs> and I guess my my answer is always it's and again because of this segregation that we have and we, we we've now developed in society, there is specific kids forms of entertainment or kids or entertainment for kids and they're specifically adult entertainment and they're they're not seen as interchangeable even though everybody loves pixar and everyone loves like of all ages goes to see or i bring my cousins to see whatever um i can if, if this is released a, a thing as an excuse to go to see it i want i want to see it too um for like and i, and I, I still have a hard drive with loads of uh, disney movies that i'll watch if i and you know like as a big kid you just want to want to watch something friendly and lovely and i guess that's where we're going to fall down of like look we don't specifically make shows these are are these podcasts for kids we tell stories with music some kids will enjoy it our kids friendly shows that are oftentimes more theatrical and they're devised specifically with kids in mind yes they're specifically done for kids and, we've and half, they're half they're a different before. beast. So they're to come back beast. to Gronia, yeah, I think somebody made a good comment earlier about how she's kind of like trying to survive. Uh, you know, she's trying to survive in this world. She's sure. and and the 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 thing that she does, the inciting incident of this myth, is something that comes up over and over again in um, stories about women. And in women's stories. And if you if you look at the kind of archetypal hero journey, jo- the Joseph Campbell one, there's another one that a woman called Clarissa Estes did, which she calls the Queen Journey, which is a, a different, not entirely separate, but it, it's, it's a different type of story. And uh, I remember being at the Bard Summer School one year when we looked at Dermot and Gronia and two of the people there, um, Ellen O'Malley Dunlop and Maureen, I think, I can't remember Maureen's surname right now. Anyway, two of the Bard team took us through Dermot and Gronia through the Joseph Campbell a monomyth structure and through the Clarissa Pincola Estes um, Queen, Queen Journey. journey. 
and it was fascinating. But the 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 start of the Queen's journey uh, is the bargain without knowing, and that's the deal that Grania makes to marry Fionn Macu. She makes a bargain without knowing what she's getting into, and it's often a marriage. Like it's often a marriage plot. It's the same. It is. It is a similar story structure to to Deirdre of the Sorrows, where she agrees. No, Deirdre doesn't actually agree, but where there's there's an agreement to marry an an old king, um, and and she doesn't know what that means really. And then when she's confronted with the physical fact of like, this is the fella that you're going to be spending your life with and spending your nights with. Yeah. There's a, there's a kind, like, Grania's reaction to Fionn McCool is revulsion. And I think that that's actually like, when it, when it comes to talking about Grania and talking about what she does and what she should have done and what she shouldn't have done, she agreed to a binding contract without knowing what she was getting into. And like, there's a certain amount of, there's there's probably quite a lot of pressure on her to agree because her father is getting well sick of her turning down suitors and has made it clear to these guys that like, it's not his fault if she turns you down. So like, she's under some pressure externally. She's under some pressure internally because, you know, this is a, this is a story that girls are told that you are not complete until you're married. This is a story we're still telling to girls. Girls yeah. particularly. We tell it to boys as well. We tell it to everybody really. But like this this idea that you are not fully human, you are not fully realised until you are in a romantic relationship. <clears throat> and like yeah. it, that's that's a that's a story. So she's got internal pressure, she's got external pressure. This is a man that she cannot find a reason to refuse him. What she says to her father is if you have no objections to him as a, as a son-in-law, I have no objections to him as a husband. So she kind of asks her father to give her a reason to say no. And her father doesn't say he's too old for you because of the political situation, maybe, or because he doesn't think he is. And when she sees this man, she's repulsed. And like when you're in that corner... When you're in a corner where you're like, I'm going to have to go to bed with this person. I'm going to have, like, this is a very visceral emotion that she's in. No. And then, then she sees the boy she's in love with. So I think this is like going back to what you mentioned earlier about, uh, hey, Kira. Um, uh, <laughs> and whoever has joined us yes. we're talking about our recent podcast uh, part one I think you mentioned earlier that it's a trope in old stories to make the female character very blah passive. And very uh, passive that's passive and obedient um, good women are yeah. passive quiet and obedient reading, in western literature reading, the modern reading of Tiermann and Grania, May, is is infuriating because we've grown up with strong women. We all and we're reading this really passive, bland, annoying. All she kind of does is give out for the first half, and she doesn't really. And you, and you, but you don't get any insight into her. You don't get any internal uh, depictions of her. Uh, like in your telling, you, you get that. Yeah, you but that's 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 characteristic of myth, though. Are like you sure. don't you don't like myth myth. Everything's externalized in myth. Uh, people, do, people don't. You don't. You don't 
it, when you're reading the Odyssey, it's not like uh, he was sad; it's he wept. And that's yeah. that's kind of characteristic of, of of the story. You you see it; it's 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 acted out, and that's actually kind of I think one of the reasons why mythology is so psychologically powerful because the the struggles that we internalize that we go through internally are are externalized and they're acted out and so Gronia has this hideous dilemma she asks Dermot to run away with her and he says no not a fucking chance because he he does know he knows what he would be giving up she makes the deal without knowing what she's giving up he doesn't and he resists. And I, I, I particularly love, and I actually wrote it up as, as one of the, the little visual posts that have been going out. I particularly love the, the interaction he has with her um, when he tells her, he puts a counter guess on her and says that he will only come with her if she comes to him neither naked nor clothed, neither on foot nor on horseback, neither within nor without. And she does. Because there's something there about there's something incredibly important there about um, liminality and threshold and stepping into the unknown and being between. Um, and I, it's, it's to me. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it says. I just know that I love it as an image. <laughs> well, for me, it's, it's kind of he'll accept the gesh if he knows that he's going with someone who is at least. A uh, sharp of wit enough to come up with something like this. I think. You know, I think I, it's. I think it's deeper than wit. I think it's wisdom, and I think he 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 is testing her wisdom. And I agree with you. I think. I think he's. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. not just a pretty face. I guess is what I mean. He's just like, okay, you're beautiful. There's no doubt. There's no denying that. But you know, I'm not going to run away and sacrifice everything, even if I have to evoke doom, unless you've got something more there. Yeah. In, then inside you, you know, and the fact that she's even able to come up and, and meet him with the challenge, the fact that she does and thinks it through and is able to be both in and out, clothed, unclothed, and not on horseback, not on, not on foot, is just amazing. And like, he's like, all right, fuck it. You know what? You managed to do this possible thing. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, like um, Rose May. Oh, are you the person who did the fucking picture? Oh my god! Oh my yeah, god! It is. Oh. Thank you. We didn't get to say that. Thank you so yeah. fucking much. That was amazing. <laughs> that was very, very, very cool. We were both. Yes. Very, very chuffed. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, class. And yeah, I guess he does want someone who's a bit of crack. Yeah. And I'm glad you're loving the uh, discussion. Um, a hard storytelling, music to the ears. Uh, I I want to tell you one thing that I found. Uh, I came across um, again in terms of like uh, the the arc and and in this section, Zurica, the splashing of the water was was the way that Grania eventually brings Dermot into saying, "Look, I'm a woman. Look at me as a woman. Mm. You're fucking ignoring me. I'm in love with you, and this is driving me insane. Fuck you. Yeah. You know this this sucks." It was <laughs> yeah. a, it sucks, and like it's fair enough. And as you're telling, says they 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 ran together from there on out. I found an amazing, and I have to run it by you because I was like, "What the fuck?" Yes, so I found this amazing story, and it's it's a Lady Gregory version. And again, the reason I have to 
pass it back to you and have a conversation which is because I find it so archaic and so hard to get into the character's mind especially the female's one to understand what in the name of God is going on so the story went that Dermot and Grania are off and they're in the cave and a Fomorian warrior comes along and he sees Grania and he sees Dermot with her but not with her this is before they've uh, they've slept together and this is while Dermot's still leaving the piece of meat out to Fionn at the fireside because that's a oh. sign that they haven't coupled yet or something. It's, uh, it's or a sign that yet. she's pure. Yeah. It's a virginity anyway. thing. It's it's gross. <coughs> it's gross. Anyway, yeah, it's gross. the Fomorian warrior basically says to Dermot, oh, she's free game, is she? And Dermot's like, uh, fuck, what, no? And the Fomorian warrior goes, yeah, give us a go of her, picks her up and drags her off to basically rape her. And Dermot cuts him in two and goes no fuck that and defends her honor and Grania turns around and stabs him in the leg and walks off and off yep and Dimmer's like what the flying fuck just happened and he goes out and they have this like he basically sits down fucking you know devastated he doesn't know what's going on because he's a man and I didn't know what was going on and it was very confusing <laughs> you know, man, you stabbed me in the leg what's going on I saved you what is wrong with you he sits down and laments the fact that he's misses he misses his brothers he misses his father Fionn McCool the foster father of, of that he has or a father figure all of his friends his livelihood everything that he ever grew up with that he ever loved he's had to sacrifice because of this woman who has now stabbed him in the leg for saving him and she sits down and basically tells him that, yeah, she had to leave her home, her everything, because of a bargain that she took up without really understanding it. And it was to marry some old guy. And she didn't want to. And she saw his old shirka, the love spot that he had, and she fell in love with him. And love is greater than anything that she could really put her mind to. And the two of them basically show, them, show each other that they... they aren't responsible for and what's I, going I on. think that's I think that's kind of key for me in that scene like it's it's a kind of a boiling over of her frustration with him um because and and like in that kind of discussion that they have which I I, I think you'll probably look at a little bit maybe next week in, in or when you when you're doing your telling or I hope you do anyway um yeah. they they both kind of have this like it's your fault orientation where he's like you took me away from everything and she's like you made me fall in love with you and then and now you Um, won't look at me and and like and i think you know that that kind of that kind of unrequited love um I think again is something that's very you know very common for people to experience and it's 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 so easy for it turn into for it to turn into rage. And it's so scary when it does. When somebody says, You made me fall for you and now you're not paying attention to me. Yeah. Like And it's so often the other sex flip around, it, you know, it can be both. I remember having a conversation around the table after a Candlelit Tales gig where we all talked about our stalkers because we all had had one. Yeah. And like yeah, that's that's true. musicians, storytellers, 
it can happen to fucking anybody. It happens with all of the women and all of the men. Um, In our particular group, which was really interesting to have as a conversation. And like, it's not just it happens to women. It happens happens to everybody. And like, you know, being on being on the kind of receiving end of that is is quite scary because you have this intensity of emotion coming at you. And you're like, I did not I did not ask for this. But you're seeing it, I think, with Gronia from the other side where she's like, I didn't ask for it. either. This is something you did to me. For the first time, whether it's the Fomorian warrior and him, her, her stabbing him in the leg, or uh, and there's a beautiful line. She says, "Give me back my knife." And Dearman kind of says, "Take it, take it uh, out of the sheath that you put it in." And she looks at his leg and and takes the knife out of his leg because he wouldn't touch it uh, because she she was the last person to touch it. And obviously, he's fallen in love with her, but he can't. He doesn't feel like he can act on it. Because he still has this loyalty to Fionn. He still feels so torn eternally. He still has this awful conflict going on. And And eventually once he... I think once he kind of accepts the fact that she's in love with him and she can't help it. And he's honestly in love with her and he can't help this situation. And they're both in it together now. Yeah. Rather than she doing this to him and he having to do this for her once yeah. they realize they're in it together and they're a team and they realize that they yeah. have to do this and have to take on the world together like any great couple will essentially have to do we yeah. just go right we have to fucking it's, it's you and me against the world it's it's you know? this is the only um, way we'll survive it and i think like also the the like the confrontation he has with Fionn McCool at the house of seven doors is, is also really key in that because I think up to that point he's hoping for reconciliation because I yeah. think like he yeah. knows Fionn and he loves Fionn and he feels like if I can just explain this to Fionn McCool and we can sit down together face to face and talk about it it will be fine and and then he is kind of betrayed by Fionn like he betrays Fionn but I think I think there's also I think there's a betrayal in the other going in the other direction as well because he's always known Fionn as this big-hearted character who's able to, like, who's wise, who's... <laughs> Sorry, Michael, for the PTSD. <laughs> this character who's, like, wise and compassionate and forgiving. And, like, Fionn McCool forgave the man who killed his own father. And then when Dermid sees him, he's raging. He wants to kill Dermot. He doesn't want to listen. And I think that, like, I, I feel like that's that's an, that's experienced as a betrayal as well. Because his mentor yeah. won't talk to him. Well, once he finally puts that to bed, he's like, right, now, now that I actually don't have something to go back to, now I've done, I've done the deed, essentially. I might as yeah. well do the deed yeah um, and I think you're right you I know. think like that's a that's a really key shift in the, and that's kind of why we broke it at that point because that's where the story shifts from Gronia making Dermot do stuff to yeah um, the two of them as a team yeah and it's them against yeah, the yeah. world uh, Michael yeah, also is, uh... just wrote in nonetheless for me this shows how mythologization of pain serves as its externalization and helps with coping which yeah, yeah. hard agree I, I think and that's and hard storytelling true. as well 
said, uh, amazing to know how this has been part of human interaction for centuries <laughs> or millennia, which is actually kind of mind-boggling, but so kind of humbling and true. Like yeah. heart yearning, love, lust, longing. These are these are being human emotions for a very long time. You know. And, Absolutely. Um, ah. I think it's. I think Apologies it's to the. Sorry for the shaky camera. Just. Uh, I I love that. Sorry, we just dropped that at the end, but we came to a very nice close there, thinking about how human emotions have been in myths and in the land and in history for such a, a long, long time. And whether it's loss or love, heartache or longing, joy, ecstasy or heartbreak or everything in between, it's been experienced by people everywhere and for centuries. So it's kind of humbling as we said and apologies for my dodgy audio there phoning in we'll be sorting that out next week no doubt and we'll be picking up this story next week with part two and i'll be telling that so tune in next week to catch that we'll be following on with another post show apocalypse podcast not apocalypse not apocalypse sorry that's that's uncalled for um so we'll be doing a few more of these if you'd like to support the Patreon page by all means or if you'd like to share these stories we encourage that too. Um, this podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. Surika and I devise these stories in the way we tell them. The show notes will be going up as well with these podcasts in terms of our sources. We put them up on Patreon as well if you want to follow us there. But most of all, I hope you're keeping safe and sound. hope you're getting enough of the good light half of the year right now, as well as the, the news and the information that's going on around. I hope you're taking care of yourself, your loved ones, and your own mental health. A bit of exercise, a bit of fruit is always good. Washing your hands never hurt anybody, I suppose. Uh, I do hope you're keeping well and those that you love are doing well as well. Lots of love and as always, keep her lit. We'll catch you next time. Yep.